The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the latest episode of Star Trek Prodigy, A Moral Star, Part 1. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stiga. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. Folks, be sure to join the StarQuest fan club by texting StarQuest, all one word, to 66866. That's StarQuest to 66866, and you'll get on our mailing list and get all the news ahead of everyone else. You'll find out all of our plans and the interesting things that are going on with StarQuest in our shows. I do want to tell you about another interesting show you'll want to check out called the uh, called Raising the Bets, and that's a show I do with my wife, Melanie, and we talk about uh, what sort of fun sort of things we got going on in our family as we uh, raise them outside of uh, Boston here, and uh, we talk about cooking, movies and TV shows and books we've read and uh, that sort of thing. So check it out. It's at sqpn.com slash bets, that's B-E-T-T-S, or wherever fine podcasts are found. And be sure to stick around to the end of this episode as we're going to have some feedback from our listeners on previous episodes. But we're talking about this time, we're talking about Star Trek Prodigy and this episode, um, A Moral Star, part one of a two-parter. Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens in this one? Last time we saw the ship's vehicle replicator was making another robot body, but a mangled one for Dreadnought, and it seemed to activate. But this time, we see that the body is not actually functional, and the kids are playing with it. Dal activates a recording in its head, and in the recording, the diviner offers the kids a deal. Rather than continuing to chase them across the galaxy, he says he will release all of his slave miners if they will come back and give him the protostar. If they don't come back, he says the slave miners will suffer, which the kids take to mean that the miners will all die. Faced with a tough choice, the kids decide to go back, but they plan some kind of daring rescue operation to save the miners, the details of which are hidden from the audience. When they get there, the diviner says, I am altering the deal. Pray I do not alter it further, (laughs) and demands that they let Gwyn go with him. Gwyn feels responsible for letting her father capture the kids in the first place, and she agrees to go with him in exchange for the Diviner's own ship, the Rev-12, so that the kids and the miners won't be stranded on the mining asteroid. The Diviner agrees and frees all the miners. But as he, Gwyn, and Dreadnought are leaving on the Protostar, he destroys the Rev-12's power generators. This causes the asteroid to lose artificial gravity, and when the batteries run out, its force fields will shut off and they will all die from lack of oxygen. Gwyn tells her father he's a monster, but she still engages him in conversation because he's been telling her that there's some hidden truth that she isn't aware of that somehow justifies all of his actions. The Diviner starts to mentally link with her, but realizes she's holding something back. And indeed she is, because we cut back to the asteroid and learn that Gwyn's actual job is to stall the Diviner long enough for the rest of them to put their daring rescue plan into operation. The end. 
(laughs) which we're still not quite sure what that the uh, details were hidden. Details were hidden from the audience. Yes, that is a classic Star Trek trope, by the way, this to (laughs) hide the the plans. And they show they they have the classic montage of where they're doing things, although Mm -hmm. they only have, what do you say, 24 hours to get back? To the to him, yeah, it was yeah. one one day or one day yeah. cycle or however they put it. Yeah, although they they make it seem like oh they're tired, they're sleeping, they're having meals, they're you know it's days, so it's kind of funny that they did that. Um, they're kids, they're kids. Yep. Yeah, they get tired. <laughs> so a couple things. Uh, the title, a moral star, is an anagram for Tars Lamora, which is the asteroid mm. planet place that they're that they're at, the asteroid field. I think it refers to the whole asteroid field. Um, mm-hmm. So, which is interesting. I'm not sure why. Um, but also, uh, the write, the writing credits for this episode is the entire writing room. I find that interesting yep. why they've done that. Uh, this is not the season finale. So it's, this isn't a uh, where, you know, we're, we're, we're wrapping up and we want to thank everyone by putting their all their names on it. Oh, for- that's not what controls who gets writing credits. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. You don't get a writing credit unless you satisfy the Writers Guild of America guidelines. So it, the reason these people got writing credits was because they contributed to this to the writing of this in a substantial way that demands that they have a writing credit. Mm. Right. Uh, uh, so it's it's curious that, you know, there's there's at least one to Three, There's four, seven, listed. eight. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of writers, and so many cooks boil the broth. I mean, what do you think? Did, does no, it I thought suffer? this was good. Yeah, and it might be as simple as you know, one writer wrote one one of the little flash scenes, another right, you know, something like that, where they wrote yeah. you know one segment of the show, but it was all because it, it it doesn't look like things that were cobbled together. You know, we we've, right. we've watched episodes where it's pretty clear you can see that things are you know cobbled together and glued together, and this this. It's flowed fairly well, I think. Yeah, but. I agree. Now, it's a mutual length for this series. It's 30 minutes of animation. But because there's so much montage time well, in this. It's 21 minutes of animation plus three minutes of credits. Thank, thank, sure. yeah. Yes. Thank you for the clarification. But mm-hmm. um, but there's, there's so much montage time. There isn't a whole lot of stuff to talk about that actually goes mm-hmm. on. There isn't a whole lot of. Oh. I should scroll down to my notes on the stuff. Yeah. I mean, there is there is some stuff to talk about. So, we, I mean, we're not going to end the podcast after six minutes. But but uh, so let's get into that. Uh, but I just wanted to kind of preface it like there wasn't as a two parter. They kind of padded a little bit because they yep. they could do that with the montage stuff. Well, but you'd expect that. Um, I mean, we won't really know how to judge this one until we see the second part. Yes. Which is typical for two-parters because you need to view them as a whole. Um, But I didn't mind this one. I thought it went pretty briskly. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, yeah. I think there are some flaws in the writing. Like, So we never get an explanation on exactly what is this dreadnought Mm -hmm. that that the, the replicator creates. Is it... This is it a mangled body from when the previous dreadlock was dreadnought was spaced, mm-hmm. but he wasn't damaged in that. Right. Or right. is it is it a new one? In which case, why is it broken? And why does it have a, this message recorded in its head that's time sensitive? Because you don't if you're sending through this broken body, you don't know that the kids are going to find this message. <laughs> right. If you're creating yeah. a or when um, 
If you're creating a new body for Dreadnought, on the other hand, just tell Dreadnought the message and let him deliver it. You don't need a recording for that. Yeah. So there's some shakiness about all that. On the other hand, in the uh, Let's Make a Plan montage, uh, we do discover that Dal's um, fleshy rat tail that he has on the back of his head is actually prehensile mm-hmm. because he's holding a pen with it. Oh, I missed that one. Yeah. <laughs> I've always wondered about that. It, Yeah. Uh, you, you actually, actually, I, I, I want to talk about that point about the, mm-hmm. the, the, that flaw. I mean, that is a fundamental like plot a writing hole in, in the story mm-hmm. because yeah, if you're sending a message that has a time limit on it and it's a recorded message, how do you, how can you measure 24 hours from now? I mean, unless it can communicate back <laughs> with that. Okay. Start the timer. You know, what, or what if they never yeah. get the message? <laughs> the, yeah. I, I think they built the second Dreadnought body just to create a stinger of drama at the end of the previous episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And but then they don't pay it off. And the logical thing to do would be for him to just get on subspace. Right. right. Because he's he, I mean, he's using subspace to control the vehicle replicator replicator anyway. Just get on subspace radio and say, guys, I'm tired of this. Come back. Here's the deal. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and then they the the crew is confronted with this moral choice, and that's kind of where we get the word moral in the title, which is do we attempt a rescue mission on our own or do we try to go to the Federation and get Starfleet to do it? And so they have this imposed limitation of they've got one more jump left with the Protoss drive. Uh, they can either jump to Tars Lamora or jump to Federation space. Will the Federation believe us? Will they get mad mm-hmm. at us for stealing their ship? And do they even have the ability to get to Tars Lamora within a day? Yes. Um, right. And then on the other hand, yeah, they've got this. Because I, I should say, I mean, if they've got more Protostar class ships, then yes, they do. But mm-hmm. if they don't have more Protostar class ships, then no, they don't. Well, right. and how do you refuel or recharge the drive? Because it's uh, hand wavy. They, they make yeah. it sound like it's a regeneration type thing yeah. where it does it on its own but it, it's it's one of these where once it's once you've done the the nitro boost you have to wait for the the nitro tank to refill before it'll do it again right and it's apparently not 24 hours so even if even if they give the the drive over to to uh the diviner he's not gonna be able to jump away in this anyway he wouldn't have been able to at the end of this episode wouldn't have been able to jump away because they've depleted the last charge uh and they, before the they do, uh Dreadnought does talk about a uh, a rapid regeneration, so don't know what that does. We don't know what that does if it you know, oh, harms yeah. the drive or whatever. But so there's there's of course you know there's always the uh, this is how it's supposed to work. But of course we can hit these few buttons and now it goes much faster because plot yeah, plot yes. So Dell is the one who hesitates on the plan because he says it's a it's a no win scenario, and you think okay Dell is going back to his old pattern of uh you know i I, i'm thinking to myself and i don't want to go go into this but then he kind of turns it on his his head a little bit and says it's a no-win scenario so we can't have one of these half-baked plans like one of my usual half-baked plans right right so he's we can see some growth in him he's he's now moved beyond the the self-involvement the the the, is his uh experiences have helped him to kind of grow into the role of captain of this crew which is nice. And that's when we get this reveal and transition that they now consider themselves a real Starfleet cadet crew. And they come out all wearing Starfleet uniforms. 
And they're a new kind of Starfleet uniform that we haven't really seen before. And Janeway, who has been wearing a a Voyager era uniform, updates hers as well. Yeah. And I think it again lends the the, this speculation that this takes place much later than we thought, or at least some time later than the Picard era. Right? No, no. This is this is way before Picard, I think. No, this is the yeah, this this is only five years after Voyager. So this is between Voyager and Picard. However, the ship itself come we know comes from far future. Because if if the uh star date that was given in the last episode, Time Amok, that's six oh seven one two five point six. Now all of Voyager happened about fifty seven thousand. Yeah, but that's not far future. Each each ten thousand is or each one thousand star date units is a year. So um if so last... six oh seven thousand versus fifty seven thousand. Yeah, so three years, right? Yeah, it's like three years. Uh there's a difference uh I I maybe I'm, I'm so every thousand star dates is a year. Mm-hmm. The difference of this is fifty five five hundred and fifty thousand. Uh, of these star dates. Well, to, to, I mean, I see what you're saying. I'm just not sure that that date is that big. But well, there's also something to keep in mind, which is I, I mentioned last time. The showrunner had said after last episode that that star date yeah. was a, an artifact of the time dilation affecting Janeway. So not right. the, so that we're not supposed to take that as the current star okay. date. And okay. that they would reveal. I, I missed that. I missed yeah. that apparently because because yeah. you know I, I still hold that there's going to be some time travel involved. I, I, I agree. Yeah, because the uh, he did say in that same statement, we will reveal the star date by the end of the season, which why would you say that unless it was uh, significant to the overall story? OK, so that but yeah, well, in any case, in this episode, um, I've, I've just looked it up and yeah. uh, father is right that it is a way out in the future star date. It's not just three years, yeah. um, but um it is it's like 600 and oh, it's five, years. Five, 550 yeah. thousand years. star dates so okay. but it's also due to the time to the time going yeah. crazy yeah okay so in any case we have this image and so we could you know we the speculation all the all day long about when it is but let you know so yep. this story itself the uh like you said we we go through the montage we get they they jump to the Taj Taj Lamora and the Tars Diviner change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and uh the Diviner changes the deal uh and says Gwyn has to go with him. Mm-hmm. And also we get to see the unnamed Cation child again. Yay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It seems significant somehow. We keep mm-hmm. seeing her for some reason. And so that I'm I'm curious where, where this is going. I, uh, I wonder if the, the it'll be part of the original crew or a child of the original crew. Right, right. Some yeah. Because we have all these alpha alpha quadrant races here. Yeah, I mean, is it just because she's cute, a kitten, you know, or is it something so more? Here, here's a thought: we may have, we may someday have a reveal of like Chakotay in a dungeon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's kind of what I'm wondering. Yeah. Um, one one of the things so there's obviously more going on with the diviner because he like tells. Um, Gwen that some causes are bigger than both of us and he's he's talking about you know there's some greater moral purpose he really does not like the federation he says that they tell lies and they're hypocrites um and and that may be a partial truth 
Um, it certainly has been in the past. Right. Yeah. Um, but uh, I was thinking about his character arc because they've been planting the seeds of like there's a division between him and uh, and Dreadnought. So Dreadnought is more like an ideologue fanatic to whatever mm-hmm. their ideology is. And the Diviner has at least more moral complexity than Dreadnought does. And when he initially took Gwyn with him, I said to myself, they're setting us up for a redemption arc for mm. him. But then he he destroys the Rev-12's power generators, and that's going to lead to the death of everybody. And Gwyn calls him a monster and says, you promised uh, to let them go. And he said, I promised them their liberty. I did not promise them their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that is irredeemable right? Uh, it, by anything except death. Mm. So um, I thought they were going to uh, give us a, a redemption where we get to look at him through a new lens. But if he's if he's doing, I promise to let them go, not to not kill them. <laughs> um, that is that can't be redeemed by anything but death in dramatic terms. That always that sort of thing always reminds me of uh, Schwarzenegger's movie Commando. Uh, mm-hmm. where, where's Solly? I let him go, and he dropped him. He had dropped him off the yeah. cliff. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. um, it's dark oh. for a kids' series like this, like a Nickelodeon series. That's a kind of a, a mm-hmm. dark uh, villain. We also get evil Janeway in this because mm-hmm. as soon as the yes. Diviner gets on board the Protostar, Janeway pops up and like, you know, Clippy or something to give him <laughs> yeah. moral, moral nags. And it's like <laughs> Dreadnought removed this Starfleet distraction and Dreadnought just reprograms her and activates a dark version that they apparently had loaded into the computer's memory. She's like they they pulled her from the uh, mirror universe. Version. That's what I was just thinking too. Yeah, <laughs> which is similar. Uh, Mary Alpha points out is similar to when the Doctor on Voyager had his ethical subroutines deleted in Equinox. The the, the two parter. Mm-hmm. He had moral ethical subroutine problems a lot. Actually, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> those those, uh, those needed to be duplicated and backed up somewhere. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's interesting. Um, so. Yeah, he du- he double crosses them and then double double crosses them. Uh, you know, so first the double cross is when he forces Gwyn to go with them, and then the double double cross when they destroy the generators, and they have to uh, they they the the crew our our little crew play acts at being all upset and we're oh no we're dying we're dying and then once they're far enough away, they reveal that they've double crossed. Uh, their part of their plan was to yeah. steal the proto star. And shove it inside of Murph, which I think is awesome because Murph is indestructible. Set up, he's indestructible. So okay, <laughs> yep. he can hold a protostar inside of him, and then uh, and then shoves him in a mer- in a zero casing, basically. Yes, and they've also got thruster packs because they anticipated the loss of gravity. Right, right. right. Um, and uh, so yeah, that that's a lot of fun. I, I just I I love Murph. Yeah. I think there's more to, to, to come from Murph uh, to see sort of the, the, the end of the infinite bag of holding mm-hmm, <laughs> essentially mm-hmm. at this point. Um, so we'll see how that goes. And then that kind of ends and it felt like you said, I mean, there was a lot of cool, good things going on, but it felt like it ended very quick and, but it was mm-hmm. a regular yeah. episode. 
Well, and and that that kind of brisk pace means it's enjoyable because when mm-hmm. it's not enjoyable is when you notice how long it, it's taking to get through this. <laughs> right. Um, the essential plot we have here is what's known as a caper plot, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 now often caper plots involve criminal activity, like in Ocean's Eleven, for example, is a classic caper plot where you... Um, you're going to knock over this casino and we get to see the plan and then we get to see how the plan goes wrong and has to be readjusted on the fly. And ultimately the heroes win and they walk away with their money. And then a spoiler happens that I won't spoil. (laughs) Um, But um, the, this is a variant on the caper plot where, because frequently the way this works and they and they did it this way when they did the caper plot in Vic uh Vic's casino in Deep Space 9 we got to be briefed on the plan and mm-hmm. then see how it goes wrong mm-hmm. and how they compensate and that's one way of doing a caper plot but another way of doing a caper plot is to hide the plan from the audience so that we see it for the first time as they're implementing it and that's what they're doing in this for in this story Right, right. But I like caper plans, and so um, you know they're they're interesting because they have to be intricately plotted, and intricate plotting is what uh, what I really enjoy. So, yeah, it's fun. I I I like it. I think the uh, like you said, and they plots like this involve twists, and I love twists. So I wanted to kind of go back to the diviner and the information he's holding back that he's promised to tell Gwyn, but keeps failing to. Prom- to tell her and it has Gwyn, to do with- i am your father <laughs> i know i know <laughs> not a news um and he he apologizes for leaving her behind on the uh the living planet that was going to kill her so and taking the, the yeah says that was a mistake yeah um but you know he keeps saying like there's there's a there's a whole we, we need to be saviors of our race and there's this whole story having to do with them being the last two of their kind and um, he is on a type of life support to sustain him. He created her as his progeny, but that's apparently not shouldn't have been part of the plan, at least according to Dreadnought. And, but it does involve the protostar somehow. And any thoughts mm-hmm. on that? I mean, it, is there enough to to really kind of build anything off of that yet, or there's just still too many holes? I think we need uh, more data. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, again, I, I keep going back to this this idea of that the time travel is going to be involved. That's that's the only thing I keep coming back to that, like maybe yeah. he's planning on using the Protostar since it's can travel through time to go back and save his species. I don't know. I mean, that's just that's just a off the top of the head. guess. I mean, yeah, I can I can imagine ways to fill in the rest of the story, but I don't think we have enough clues to predict it with certainty at this point. No. Um, or even reliability. Um, but he's apparently behold, he and Dreadnought are apparently beholden to some kind of ideology uh, that they refer to as coming from the order, whatever the order is. Right, right. Okay, so I guess uh, there, there's not much point in uh, talking more about that until we get some more from them in the next episode, which is the last episode of this part of the first season. As we mentioned yeah. before, Paramount it's a is... Mid, mid-season cliffhanger. Yeah, they're, they're splitting yeah. up the season into, I think, 10 episode chunks? 10 and 10. 10 and 10, yeah, and then we'll come back... In the in the fall, sometime 
to the rest of the or the next part of the first season. Which is actually nice that we're getting 20 episode seasons because mm-hmm. we normally don't get that on a lot of shows. Right. Um, but this has been picked up for a second season. So that means we should have at least 40 episodes of this as right. a story arc. Yep. I'm going to guess that when it airs on Nickelodeon eventually, uh, that it will be 20 episodes in a row. They're not going to split oh, it yeah. like mm-hmm. this. Um, and oh, that's, yeah, why they're, that's why they're doing it like this. Um, so, yeah, it is kind of nice to get it like that. All right. So uh, to be continued to part two, Father Corey, did you have any other thoughts on this episode? Well, I, I got a kick out of Janeway's getting the uh, crew into coffee. <laughs> yes. Yeah, of course. Even Hollow Janeway has to have her coffee and, you know, she's getting the crew into it. And then, of course, you got Gwyn. We're in cat boots now. Yes. Cat boots. In cat boots. Yeah. Instead yeah. of in cahoots. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, Jimmy? So I uh, keep, I don't write a lot of fiction. I have written some, but I, these days I don't have time for it. But I keep a little note file of ideas, including names for species you might find on other planets. Mm-hmm. And, um, and one of the names on the list, because just, you know, people, when they meet a new species, like when the new world was discovered here on Earth, you would find things that, oh, this looks similar to this other animal we have back in the old world, but it's different in this way. So they would take the name of the old animal and modify it to fit the char- the distinguishing characteristic of the new animal. And so that's why we have like there's a difference between North American hedgehogs and European hedgehogs or opossums or whatever it is. And um so I have this list of adjectives and and list of, uh, you know, creature names. And one of the creatures on the list is the snot weasel, <laughs> because there's no reason. Muc- I mean, lots of life forms here on Earth use mucus like all over their bodies as a protective thing, mm. in, especially among ocean creatures. So if you found something like a weasel on another world, but it was covered in snot, <laughs> it would be the snot weasel. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and I liked uh, in this when they're talking about how they've just been acting once once the diviner is gone and they drop the pretense um, and they talk about how much fun they had acting out those parts, uh, Jankum Pog. And I think his last name must be a reference to pig. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. of Tellarites are like pigs. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jankum Pog says, Jankum takes to acting like a pus hog takes to phlegm. <laughs> and, and I thought, there you go. Pus same hog. kind of same kind of thought pattern. <laughs> Snot weasels must be a, a native species to tell her. Uh, so speaking of um, writing fiction, I've actually wrote some Star Trek fan fiction uh, a uh-huh. long time ago. Uh, if you go to my website, betnet.com slash Star Trek, you'll find uh, two stories I wrote in the Star Trek universe mm. uh, oh. 20 years ago. I'm looking at the dates on it now. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that was a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> who knows if it stands uh, to and, and I was going to say, and you actually still want to promote it? <laughs> <laughs> if someone wants to read it and tell me what they think, I'd love to hear. But uh, kind of fun. All right. Uh that So if that does it for the discussion of a moral star, we could uh, get to our listener feedback. Our first feedback comes uh, from our friend Bennett on Facebook, uh, who is commenting on our episode 182 on shore leave. And he says, Uh uh, for a number of reasons, I only just listened to to the discussion uh, of shore leave and the discussion about Kirk's fake girlfriend and Jimmy's deeply honest comments about his wife, which made me think of an event in my life from some years back. 
My wife, who's very petite and looks quite young for her age, and I had gone to a church in the nearby town of Henley-on-Thames. Whilst there, an older man approached my wife and said that she looked so much like his daughter, who had recently died suddenly. This may sound weird, but he asked if he could say goodbye to his daughter through my wife as he hadn't been able to. There were tears for my wife and for him as he hugged her. He went through a process of saying goodbye, and it was a moment that has stayed with us ever since. It was actually poignant and lovely. A similar real-world example of what you spoke of in the podcast. It made the discussion in the podcast all the more grounded for me. Thank you, Bennett. That's yeah, awesome. awesome. Very moving. Yeah. And very nice of, of I mean, because it could, I can imagine some people thinking this is, this is a little creepy. This is not for me, but it, I, I understand the perspective of one who is grieving mm -hmm. and it's a real kindness to enable someone to uh, help do something Absolutely. they deeply regretted, even if it's only symbolic, like right. not being able to say goodbye. Right. That is a real act of charity. So yeah, kudos to to your wife for doing that. Um, and then we, our second feedback is about our discussion of Lower Deck Season 1 uh, in general. And we got this uh, from a, a patron, Jason, who writes, uh, Hello, I'm a Patreon member. I love the podcast. And I've heard that you mentioned in the, in the past how Star Trek Lower Decks pays homage to its predecessors in a loving way. But I also think it includes many different universal science fiction callbacks. Yes. Mm -hmm. They they mm -hmm. did make a reference to the screeching eels from the Princess Bride. Yeah, I remember that. That mm -hmm. was good. But I noticed recently that there's another callback to, of all things, Firefly. In the Lower Deck episode's Temporal Edict, the very last scene shows an outdoor classroom with children studying in the far future. This is an identical set based on the Firefly Serenity movie where River Tam has a flashback. And then he attached a screenshot for us to see the comparison. And and he's right. I didn't yeah. I didn't catch it the first time, but when you see it with the still from Firefly, which is or from Serenity, which is yep. the sequel, the movie sequel to the TV show Firefly. Yeah. Um. Then uh, yeah, it looks very much the same. I just hope that whoever is is responsible for teaching those uh, Federation children in the future is not working for the Blue Sun Corporation. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Two by two, hands of blue. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that feedback all right let's wrap things up there we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create secrets of star trek including daniel m Stephen g jason k ruth k and joseph f their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of star trek and all the shows at StarQuest. you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give so that's it from us. We'd love to hear your feedback on this episode, A Moral Star, Part 1. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing, well, presumably, A Moral Star, Part 2 of Star Trek Prodigy. And until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, to bring hope to a hopeless cause, nothing's more Starfleet than that. Starfleet.